Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What's up, you guys? Sean Ross Sapp here for the Fightful.com podcast. Shane Helms edition. This guy, he's been a European champion. He's been a hardcore champion in two promotions. A tag team champion with the most important member of the Samoan wrestling dynasty. He's been a cruiserweight champion a time or two. He is one of the OGs of wrestling podcasting. Shane Helms, how are you? What it is, man, what it is. Two-time world tag team champion, as a matter of fact. Yeah, that was a a pretty good introduction, man. I like that. First of all, we got to acknowledge the NC State Wolfpack hat that I'm wearing. Yeah. But two nights ago, they went to beloved Indoor Cameron Stadium and whooped the Blue Devil's ass on the same night, the wrestling team whooped the UNC Tar Heels ass on the Ooh. wrestling mats. I, needless to say, I'm not too happy with college basketball right now after that Tennessee-Kentucky game. Um, I'm a little disheartened, a little heartbroken. It sucks. It sucks. But I gotta, I gotta imagine though that in Kentucky, there's not a lot to be happy for anyway. Like just oh, there's not overall. <laughs> There's not. <laughs> it's 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 basketball and then pretty much nothing else. And if you've been paying attention to uh, you know my prediction for the Super Bowl when weeks ago, Correct. I say and correctly, it would be the Falcons and the Patriots. How many and I girls? won me a crisp fifty dollar bill off of the Monster Abyss, which oh. hopefully I'll get. It probably be. Uh, I'm hoping it'll be crisp. It'll probably be a in a bag of tax or set on fire or some shit like that. But. Can't wait to see a bunch of girls on my Facebook just put their status to Patriots when they haven't watched the game all year. <laughs> Excited for that. Yeah. We got some stuffs to talk about, Shane. We teased it last week. It's one of the subjects I was most excited to talk to you about when we, when we started this podcast. The end of WCW. And not only were you there for the end of WCW, in WCW, but you were there for it in the WWE as well. When you got signed... <laughs> yeah, so technically I saw the death of WCW twice. Sure, <laughs> sure. I never, I never thought, about, got, thought about it like that. When you got signed, the ratings were already kind of on a decline, so we can't blame it all on you. But no. what did you? what was the signing process like for you getting into WCW? Um, well, I had a very unique signing part process, you know, uh, unlike anybody I've ever heard, you know, normally, uh, 
indie guys get tryouts, they do dark matches, and there's generally several of those, and then there's a developmental territory involved, and then along comes a contract. That's kind of the general process. Um, I was doing this stuff in Music City Wrestling with Shannon Moore. We were called the Bad Street Boys, Shannon Moore, along with Joey Mercury and Christian New York. Um, names, they'll, they'll be familiar to the diehards, uh, Christian Joy Mercury, people should know him from WWE as well. And uh, we were doing a, a gimmick called the Bad Street Boys, like I said, which was kind of, you know, the precursor to what Three Count would be. And I'd heard through, you know, through the rumor mill that uh, Chris Canyon was going to be in charge of hiring new cruiserweights. No, I didn't know Chris at all. So I told him, I mentioned this to Shannon. I said, man, we need to send him some of our stuff. <laughs> and uh, so Shannon Moore sent Chris a tape of just his stuff. <laughs> and uh and shannon's tryout tape man was it was incredible you know shannon was de- you know a very good high spot guy you know uh not necessarily a, a wrestler especially at that time you know and shannon shannon will tell you that but you know definitely really good high spot guy and, and the highlight tape looked really good you know and i uh, canyon canyon was like uh, he was in love with shannon right off the bat just from the highlight tape and now to shannon's credit he goes you know, when Canyon asked him, do you know anybody else? Shannon's like, yeah, I got this buddy of mine. He's really good, and he's he's a wrestler, and he does all these other different styles. Um, you know, so uh, we got called down for a uh, tryout match in somewhere in South Carolina, I believe. And it was either South Carolina or Georgia, but I think South Carolina. But that was the night after Owen fell. Yeah. So Bischoff wasn't there. Um, so he didn't get to see us. But we still did a match. Um and one of the we did a match, and then we did a match for like Worldwide or some something like that with uh, the guy who would go on to work with Dragon Gate as SEMA. You know, wrestling fans oh, would wow. know him. You know, yes, yeah. And in that match, I actually hit him with the Art Bar style frog splash, which he later started doing in Japan. So boom, boom, um, worlds collide sometimes. You know, but I didn't hear anything for a couple of days. And I remember being really sad about that because I always had this big confidence that if they ever saw me, they would like me. You know, that's, that was all I needed was a chance. And then I didn't know that Bischoff hadn't seen it. You know, I didn't know what was going on. Um, but then I get a call, you know, towards the end of the week, and they're going to fly us to Houston. I was like, well, that's, that's pretty odd. You know, go fly us to Houston for a dark match. And they explained that Canyon, I mean, uh, that Bischoff wasn't there, understandably so, because he went to uh, – I think me with Brett or something after Owen's accident. And so we go to Houston, dark match, me and Shannon uh, against Kaz Hayashi and uh, Blitzkrieg. And, Whatever happened uh, to that guy? I don't know. He had a terrible gear. He had great, oh, yeah. uh, a lot of great flips, weird psychology, um, weird kid, you know. But uh, anyway, we're going over in this dark match, which – that too was odd, but we go out there, we do our thing, walk through the curtain, come back. And basically they gave me a three year deal right there. So it's very, uh, I don't know anybody else's story that is like that. You know, I, that's, I do- that's interesting. I, I remember a few of the first times that I had seen you, you all were facing PG 13. Yeah, yeah. I think <laughs> Chavo teamed with them of all people. It was Chavo and PG 13. Uh, what was that experience like coming in? Because you're getting a couple wins over these guys, Chavo, who who had been around, and PG-13, who had had exposure in WCW and WWE. So they, they seem, you know, 
positively as, as you show up. But then I remember you you all started to lose a couple matches. It was like Crowbar and David Flair, and I think Norman Smiley, or back then Norman Smiley, as he called himself. Uh, what was it like for you coming into that company? Did did they say they had big plans for you, or or what was that like? Um. I know we're on the, on the uh, dark match thing, you know, the, the very first week, Jimmy Hart came to me right away. Jimmy Hart liked my stuff, my, uh, my in-ring stuff right off the bat, you know, and I was dressed real nice. And Sh- I remember Shannon had this grunge look. It was kind of what was going on at the time. And I remember Jimmy going, does your partner need any money for clothes? <laughs> wow. So I, was like, I was like, no, he's uh, he's good. I mean, we weren't under contract yet, you know, but he's like, well, you know, he, and he was explaining the three count concept to me. And, uh, you know, telling me who Evan was and, and all that. Three count was Jimmy Hart's idea, without a doubt, 100%. And I don't think anybody challenges that, but no matter what, it was uh, uh, Jimmy Hart's idea. And he just wanted us for three count, you know, just on site, especially after he saw the match. He said, you guys can go out there. You tear it up. He's like, Evan's got a great look. That's all he kept saying about Evan. You know, Evan was still really green, but Evan did have a great look. And Evan had – Evan, Evan had, he could get heat, you know, and that's good if you're a heel. Uh, I don't think he was too young at that time to realize uh, what an asset that was for himself. But um, <laughs> like I said, you know, wanted to do three count. Uh, now, fast forward a little bit, the Ready to Rumble project happens. Mm-hmm. And while that happens, Canyon needs somebody to help him out uh, to do the movie. Uh, and let me we go back to a couple steps. After we were hired, they made us go to the power plant to be evaluated, which is the ass backwards way to do things, of course. Yes. But it's WCW. And I remember down there, Ole Anderson's like, are you trying to get a job? <laughs> I'm like, oh, we already, already got a job. Huh? Who hired you? <laughs> wow. Eric Bischoff. Huh? What are you doing here? I'm like, I'm not exactly certain. <laughs> oh, so sure if I can leave. I was like, do you want me to leave? I don't know what to do. You know, <laughs> what the fuck do I do here? And then we were down there for a couple of days, but I got to work out with Paul Ondorf and, and you know, work in the ring with him. And I, I appreciated that experience. But it wasn't a couple of days down there. And my, uh, I injured my ankle because somebody else uh, blowing a spot. And <laughs> Ondorf blew a fuse over and he's, Oh, wow. And he kept doing this weird shit. He's running around and getting mad as shit at, at the other person because I, I I was under contract and got hurt by this person blowing the spot. And so he tells me I can just go ahead and go home, that he's comfortable with me in the ring and stuff like that, which that was a huge compliment for me at the time. Uh, that, you know, Paul Ondorf, you know, was that, you know, uh, had, the, had those things to say about me. But Shannon was going to have to stay. And I was like, oh, well. Uh, Shannon lives in North Carolina too, and he rode down here with me, and I'm gonna need him to drive me home. <laughs> oh wow! So, so I actually saved Shannon from there too. We both got the hell out of there, and it wasn't it was one it wasn't like a great environment to be in. I don't think uh, the learning environment was, you know, uh, advantageous to us at that time. So we we did the little power plant thing, and. Uh, while we were doing the power plants where, you know, Canyon had this big house with like all these rooms in the basement and these rooms upstairs. And he would let all, he would let a bunch of guys stay there. So a bunch of us stayed there. And that's why I kind of became friends with Chris Canyon. We are, uh, you know, very similar sense of humor. So uh, that's how I ended up being involved in the ready to rumble project. And while out doing the ready to rumble project, uh, all the cruiserweights got fired except for me. 
you know, because they hired like 12 of on, us. On the Ready to Rumble project, right? Yeah, while well, I was doing that, like all the, you know, because there was a project that uh, Bischoff and Canyon were working on. And that's when they brought in me, Shannon, AJ Styles, uh, Jamie Noble, you know, um, Jeremy Lopez, you know, different other guys. But there was like 12 total. And so while I'm doing Rumble, they fired everybody, all those guys except for me. And um, and I had to call Jimmy and tell him what was going on, and Jimmy made sure that Shannon didn't get it either. So uh, we were saved. And so while doing that, Jimmy also flew us down to Florida, and we filmed the video. It went took us to a studio. Jimmy, you know, I think Jimmy set that all up or either paid for it out of pocket. I don't know. But he set, it, set us up to go into a studio and record the song. And then we did a worldwide match, and I got to actually wrestle Chris Adams, gentleman Chris Adams, and uh, Disorderly Conduct. was That was the sixth man that they put us in there with, and you see them in the video. Very cool to be in there with Chris Adams. He didn't want to be doing the job to three count. I can promise you that, but uh, he was a professional, and everything went cool. And then uh, after Ready to Rumble, we made our TV debut. I think it was uh, toward the end of 99 it was. So you're brought in. Do you know – that it's a sinking ship or at that point, are you just like, I got a job. I'm happy. It can, it can still recover. Oh no, no, it definitely wasn't in that sinking ship territory when I was there. It was, it was still doing okay. I mean, obviously it wasn't what it was at the peak, but you know, that peak was so damn high. It was going to be hard to be there anyway. Um, but, but no, everything was good. I was very happy to have a job, you know, uh, and just wanted to prove that I belong out there. So uh, that really wasn't my concern. I was just trying to, you know, do do what I was there to do. Um, our TV debut, uh, to throw you a little rib in here, because uh, I was listening to you. I don't know if you, have, if you haven't listened to the Bruce Pritchard podcast with Conrad Thompson. It's a really great one. Great And show. they were talking about Mr. Perfect and what a river he was. So my TV debut, Mr. Perfect, Kurt Henning, walks behind me and sneezes all over my neck. Oh, I'm talking about great mood of mist sneezed all over my neck and just walks away. Don't say shit. Just walks. And I'm sitting there looking at him and I'm like, motherfucker, you know, and I can't believe it. And now I got all this mix of emotions. I got all kinds of emotions swirling in my body because, man, number one, I respect the hell out of Kurt Henning. Man. I loved him. You know, that's Mr. Perfect. And two, like, but I'm a country boy too, you know, man, this motherfucker just sneezed on me and he knows he sneezed on me. That was not an accident. And so I'm mad about projectile. that. Projectiles like, all right, now I know how these bullies are. If you don't stop them, if you don't cut the head off the snake, you know, they're going to keep going. <laughs> so now I'm like, oh, do I, I got to say something, but it's my first night on TV. Do I let this slide? Is this a test? Also, he's a big motherfucker. I might go say something and he might whip my ass. I got all of this going on in my head and I'm just, but you know, and it's bothering me. And then I catch him sneeze again. He had his water bottle in his hand. He did it to somebody else. He sprayed him with the water bottle and made the sneezing noise. And so that's all it was. Uh, and then I go, aha, I see you. And he just started laughing. And uh, you should have squeezed the water bottle and made it go in his face. Oh man, no! It was down there when I saw him. When I saw him do somebody else, but I mean, that actually that was made it even better. It took all the pressure off, and then I was like, "Damn, he got me!" And it kind of made it. Look good. It was pretty cool. Pretty cool. Pretty cool story. At what point did you know that WCW was going downhill as it pertained to business? Like, were you what? What? 
do you remember a point where you were like, this place may be out of business eventually? I don't think any of, of, of us ever really thought it was going to completely die. I don't think anybody thought that. I mean, people can say that, but I mean, there was so much money invested at, in, at one time. So much money was being made at one time. You know, how, how can anybody possibly fuck up this gold mine? You know? But you see the ratings go down. I mean, say again. But I mean, you see the ratings and the attendance and all that go down. I mean, yeah, but I mean, wrestling wrestling, NWA has been at a far, you know, have been have been in worse places. True. I mean, WWF had been in worse places, you know. Um, So, and even when ratings are bad, when there's ratings aren't a source of revenue. Or on the only source. There's other revenue sources that, you know, if they're coming in, can keep a company afloat. So, you know, a lot of people harp on the ratings, but there's other ways for a company to make money as long as they're doing it, but they have to be doing it. But um, I don't know if there's a point where I ever decided or thought that it was really going to die, but I know that there was definitely a point where I had to tell myself, I can't worry about that shit. I cannot worry about this because I'm not in this business meetings. I'm not a decision maker. My job is in that ring. That's the only thing I can control. And so I need to make sure they know who I am. There was a point where I had that conversation with myself. A lot to, to really add here. I don't know what, what order we'll go through, but um, you know, the rumors of a sale started happening, namely Eric Bischoff and his company. Do you remember hearing that and, and what you thought when you heard Eric Bischoff and his group of people are going to buy WCW. Well, I mean, at the time, you know, I always had to give respect to Eric because he, uh, I mean, he hired me, so I, I can't even take that from him, you know. But a lot of the decisions that he made were the reasons for the downfall of the company, you know, so th- there is that, you know. But um, I know uh, he seemed to have learned from some of his past mistakes, and I remember there was a general excitement that he might be one of the buyers, Um but we started to hear different stories all the time that it was going to be this company. It was going to be Vince. Then it was going to be some energy company and then some other weird fucking company. And uh, they just become a who fucking knows type vibe. Like who knows what's going to happen? Like, and the company too, they were trying to like not necessarily work the boys in a malicious way, but, but maybe trying to keep our spirits up. And tell us shit that wasn't necessarily accurate, but only in an effort to keep our spirits up and to not worry about things, you know. Um, And so we would just hear weird shit. And like I said, I I was to a point where I was tired of thinking about it. I was tired of hearing it. Like, I really don't give a shit whose name's on that check. There just needs to be a check and it needs to bounce. I mean, bounce. It needs to not bounce. Uh, It needs to bounce his ass right into my account. Um. And I just wanted to wrestle, man. I was, you know, I never got into wrestling for fame or fortune. I wanted to wrestle since I was knee high to a June bug, and that's what I wanted to do. So, I mean, that that was my focus. But you would, so many stories were coming. It, it was hard to filter out the bullshit from the fact. Around this time, ECW also goes out of business, and this is during a really tumultuous time for WCW. Now, I think you had, didn't you mention that you had like a tryout match in ECW? Yeah. Yeah. So you knew there was at least some interest to the degree that they'd give you a tryout match. Now you've got national exposure on WCW. So if WCW goes away, that's one less place to work in ECW. It's gone. True. I mean, no doubt. Anytime a place is gone, you know, that, that, that affects the entire business. 
But I, I think ECW going out of business was a lot, I mean, a lot, a lot lesser of a shock than WCW sure. going out was. You know, I mean, even in ECW's heyday, we would hear stories about, yeah, well, they don't pay people. So it's easy to make money when you don't pay the fucking players. It was like college athletics at the time, you know. Uh, just pay the coaches and don't play anybody else. Pay anybody else. Um, but I'm sure there were some people that got paid. Somebody had to make something. But we would hear that, you know, but ECW was on fire. So to watch it go, yeah, without a doubt, that was uh, concerning to to everybody. I mean, I guess other than, the, you know, that 1% of the top card. So, I mean, do you remember, like, your, maybe a reaction, maybe a feeling backstage? Like, was was that the talk even back then? Like, uh, ECW's gone. No, that writing was more on the wall. And we were also, you know, I'd also heard a lot of stuff how Vince and all them, and later this was known to be true, that Vince was investing in ECW mm-hmm. anyway. And so it really had died before, you know, the actual death, you know, <laughs> the tombstone had been made, I guess. And then you saw, I mean, once they lost, you know, the stars to uh, WCW and, and WWF, it was only a matter of time, you know, and when you saw like Raven go to WCW. So that had kind of started even before I got to, got to WCW. It was on the downhill. There, 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 there are a lot of things in these last like few weeks and months that really did affect you and would have affected you. One of them was uh, Eric Bischoff. He was planning on flying out to talk to Ultimo Dragon about bringing in some Japanese talents. Did you know about this? Obviously, many of them would have been cruiserweights. I mean, I didn't know about it, but I mean, uh, Ultimo Dragon had already been there. There had already been some Japanese guys there, so it would have just been more guys for me to work, more guys for me to outshine. Shit. Also, right around then, you were just getting your singles pushed in, which we will, we will talk about. Like a week before WCW died, they crowned cruiserweight tag team champions. Yeah. Did that like affect you in any way? Did you say, well, they're they're creating new championships. They can't be dying. They can't be selling. We're we're making new titles still. Like, uh, I, I don't think I, I don't think I ever thought about it like that. I think no matter what, you're still putting out your product. You're still trying to do new ideas. So I think. Uh, until the dying day, you have to do that. So I don't, I don't think that swayed my judgment or, or my view of what was going on in the company. Anyway, I remember seeing the belts looking like shit, and I was like, <laughs> you know, wow, they skimped on those. We'll talk uh, <laughs> more about those cruiserweight tag titles. I'm sure we'll do a whole show about cruiserweights and the cruiserweight division and your history there. Uh, you were just getting your singles push this time. You won yeah. the title, like like I said, a week before you retained it. You had to be like, come on. I get my push, and then this happens? <laughs> uh, the timing could have been a little bit better, you know, but uh, at the same time, uh, maybe if I got that push a year before and already lost the title, I never would have got that, you know, call up to WWE that I had because I was the champion. So um, I was the champion when WCW ended, I mean. So, uh, I, I mean, bad timing for me, but the good thing was that Everybody, pretty much anybody would tell you that Sugar Shane was one of the shining spots at the end of that WCW in those last couple months. So, um, I mean, that was all I could do. Like I said earlier, I couldn't worry about business meetings. I couldn't worry about ownership. All I could worry about was what I was doing out there. And, I mean, and like I said, Sugar Shane, I was one of the standouts in, in the dying months of the company. So that was all I could do. So that's what I did. 
what are you told about you switching to a singles run here? Like, how, how does that come about? Three count was pretty successful. Uh, yeah, that conversation had happened at Super Brawl. Uh, and it was also the day that Dale Earnhardt died. I remember that. Um, and me and Shannon were still a tag team. And we had actually written out a bunch of stuff for Jimmy Hart to be the new member of Three Count himself in a managerial capacity. I wrote this story that if somehow, you know, because all the tag teams, we've, we've gotten beat up by all the tag teams in WCW, you know, whether it was Chronic, whether it was, you know, uh, DDP and Kevin Nash, you know, no matter what the tag team scenario was, they were beating us up, the natural born thrillers. And, but we, we were little heaters, so that's okay. It didn't hurt us, you know. I mean, that was, it fit the gimmick. If we were all of a sudden these badass, you know, kick-ass machines, it wouldn't quite fit the three-count gimmick, so it was fine. But I wrote the story that somehow, you know, through hook or crook, there would be one of these tag team matches where all these tag teams are in it, and all the big tag teams just beat the shit out of each other, and somehow, yeah. by hook or crook, three-count sneaks away with the tag titles. And then... You know, going forward, uh, every week when we'd have a tag title defense, you know, say it was against Chronic. Now, now all the other tag teams would know. They know that Chronic's going to beat us. So they don't want Chronic to have the title. So they would all go fuck Chronic up before the match. So, uh, you know, a couple weeks in a row, we would have our opponents, you know, come, come into the ring already beat up. <laughs> and then even then, Jimmy Hart with the megaphone somehow, three counts still keeps – Creeping out of, you know, running away with the titles, you know, just something to create, create interest and, and keep us together. And uh, I mean, they were really on, I mean, they seemed to like it, seemed to be on board. I still think it was a good idea, you know. I think it was a great idea. The uh, end result would have been, we would have been murdered by somebody, of course, but, you know, yeah. I, I knew that, but I knew, uh, it, but I knew it was a good story. And uh, so anyway, that day, uh, they tell me that they're going to break me and Shannon up. And I go, really? And then that's the first thing they say. And uh, Terry Taylor was in on this conversation. I want to say Ed Ferrara was uh, was a, only a decision, I think. I'm not sure Vince Russo was. I, I never really talked with him too terribly much creatively. Um, I thought you all were best friends. No, I never had a problem with Vince. You know, uh, He was actually the guy that green-lighted the green circles. And I don't know if I told you yeah, They were just supposed but to be green, green circles green. Were, yeah, it was supposed to be green screen. They left him in everything, and Vince thought that was funny, and that's why we always had the green circle. So I always give him credit for that. I give credit, but I got to call bullshit when bullshit comes, too. That's how I do. Um, so anyway, I, the conversation was mainly with Terry, though, uh, Taylor. And I was like, really? I was like, man, I think there's still a lot more to do with me and Shannon. You know, I think, uh, you know, I don't think we're done as a tag team here. And he goes, well, um, we're thinking about building the entire cruiserweight division around you. And I go, well, I mean, that too is also a good idea, you know, you know, I like that one as well. And so uh, that was kind of how that conversation went. And I go, well, what are you going to do with Shannon? He goes, well, we're going to put Shannon back with Evan. And I go, and we were, you know, we'd kind of moved past that. So I was like, man, I don't know if Shannon liked that. But then Terry goes, can you go tell him that for me? <laughs> and asked me to go tell Shannon. And I was like, you know, I mean, Shannon didn't have a problem with it. They, uh, you know, ended up reforming the, uh, th- their version of three count. But, um, yeah, and from that point on, you know, they were just going to build a division around me. They thought that I was the guy. So it's funny were. how how life imitates art and art imitates life. I didn't realize this as a fifteen year old kid watching that, but you leaving three count and doing your your own thing almost was a lot like 
like a Justin Timberlake leaving in sync and going on to do his own uh, thing. You, you had your own dancers, but that didn't happen until after you broke up with Three Cat. Uh, I've said that in promos that I was the Justin Timberlake of Three Cat. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that and I was like, damn, it's like he's still doing the gimmick, but he just matured. Like you're yeah. not in sync puppet string anymore. You're you're Justin Timberlake singing like Tunnel Vision or something like that later on. Yeah. I think it's just so funny how that that imitates. Uh, There were talks of shutting down WCW for a couple of weeks from late April, and it would relaunch on May 6th with a pay-per-view. This comes from Eric Bischoff, and this was a part of his plan. Uh, What did you know about this? Uh, Just what you said, and I think I might have heard that from Chris uh, Canyon. You know, uh, he, he was a little bit more on the inside than I was, so all my information or any probably came from him, and um. It's like, well, if that's what they're going to do, that's what they're going to do. There was nothing I could have done about it. Sounded, you know, uh, you never want to go off air, but if they're going to do that and if there's a, a specific plan uh, put behind it and reasoning, then, you know, you got you got to follow the coach's orders, and that's what they were going to be. I mentioned a lot of things happening near the death of WCW, a lot of which involve you, like, you know, you got these cruiserweight tag titles. I'm whether, everywhere, man. Whether, I'm everywhere whether, in this business. Whether you are a part of the singles, you'll always have, you know, I would imagine you'd always be a guy they'd look at and say, well, he could compete for the tag titles as well. Ready to Rumble released less than a year before WCW died. Mm-hmm. In your mind, are you looking around like they're introducing this stuff? They've got movies. They've got merchandise. They've got – how are we losing money here? Uh, just just the contracts, you know. <laughs> Eric Bischoff's a business – uh, wrestling business contract. You were overpaid, weren't you? Where me, definitely no. Where they're kind of like his politics. If you follow him uh, politically, he's got that elitist idea where all you do is take care of the top one percent, and you don't give a shit about the middle card and the, the lower class and middle class or middle card lower card until the country or company fucking collapses. So that's kind of what happened. So uh, I wish he would think about that when he uh, makes all his political posts. Maybe it'll smarten him up up a little bit. <laughs> But, um, yeah, it was just a lot of money going out. A lot of those contracts were fucking crazy, uh, you know, and not that I was in meetings and all this, and I'm sure that when the money's coming in hand over fist, it's easy to hand contracts like that out. But, you know, uh, but to to his defense, I mean, where was the precedent for him to learn from from this? You know, I mean, the business was as hotter than it ever been, you know, uh, especially from a TV uh, perspective and from a global branding perspective, you know, there was, there was nothing to compare it to or to even learn from. Is this a mistake? Well, we, we're going to have to find out, you know, that was, that was his learning curve, you know? So he was in the deep end of the pool the entire fucking time, you know? So, uh, like I said, he'll, he'll, he has to take blame for, for the downfall, but man, he was a huge part of the rise and the fucking boom. So, uh, it's, it's give and take with that. So, um, but you some of those contracts, like I said, the guys didn't even have to do house shows if they don't want to. We would do so many house shows, and the opening announcements would be, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry to tell you, but this guy's not here. This guy's not here. This guy's not here. This guy's not here. Let's bring out three count. And we would be the opening match every night, and it would just be this you know, vacuum of fucking energy. And um, and from a fan, of course you're disappointed. It's like Hogan wasn't going to be there and, you know, uh, Nash or Savage or whoever the fuck decided they didn't want to be there that night. There was a couple guys that were always there. You know, DDP was always there. Booker T was always there. Uh, Sting was always going to be there. You know, Scott Steiner was there. Uh, you know, he was always there. Um, 
But a lot of the guys, you know, you just, man, if they wanted a night off, that's just how it was going to fucking be. Didn't matter to them if they'd been ag- advertised for nine months. You know, it didn't matter to them. And we would have to, you know, go go through with that shit. We would have to suffer through it. And um, and sometimes too, it wasn't necessarily the talent's fault. They would get, they would hear from the office that the attendance was down and that to not pay them, don't come to the show or, or some weird shit like that. You know, and, I, and I've heard that before. I can't verify that with, you know, a numbers, but I, I definitely heard those stories. But we would go out there and open a match, three count the Young Dragons, and the hope was that. You know, with the exciting uh, match that we we could bring in, you would probably see more action in our match than any other on the entire card. That once you stayed for that first match, you couldn't ask for a refund. So that was the thought process behind putting us out first every every night. So, like you mentioned, as long as you're getting a check, you're happy. So I would imagine you were at least pulling for Eric Bischoff to pull off that buy and. Yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever kept us afloat, I was happy for it. And too, I mean, it wasn't just a check. I loved wrestling, you know. I mean, of course, I like getting paid, but I'm not a guy who was there ever just for the money. So, uh, just you know, even when I said that earlier, that didn't sound right to me. You know, I, I mean, I want to get paid, but I was never there just for the money. But yeah, whoever was going to keep the boat afloat, you know, I was going to back. And if Eric was one of those guys, then I would have backed him too. When did you find out WWE was buying WCW? None of us ever really knew, no matter what anybody says. And I was in that locker room. Nobody knew until Shane McMahon walked in that door that it was on. We had a talent meeting at the final Nitro in Panama City, Florida. Uh, I forget the name of the place, but talent meeting. And we'd seen signs on the door, you know, and the signs said either WWF or they said McMahon or some shit. I don't know what they said, but. It said something, but still we were like, is that shit real? Because as I told you earlier, there'd been, you know, the company had been working us a little bit sure. and telling this shit that wasn't necessarily accurate. Um, you know, working the boys, you know, the shoot thing that kind of Russo was like, you know, there was still yeah. a lot of that going on. A lot of those work shoots that were going on. I remember watching Buff yeah. Bagwell throw a match on TV, sell in it, but – then say, did I do a good job? It was really weird and confusing. and Yeah. And and that stuff kind of created a, a, a mistrust in the locker room. You're like, I mean, why, you know, they're working on us again. But then again, if sometimes if the boys could just shut the fuck up about all the secrets and stuff that we're trying to do on the show, you know, none of that work shoot stuff would have, might not, you know, necessarily have had to happen. Um, so, but anyway, none of us knew. Nobody knew, no matter what anybody says. I could see it in people's faces. I was looking around that locker room. You could feel it in the air. So much uncertainty. Nobody knew what was up. And then that door opened and Shane McMahon walked in. And it was, and WCW was done right there. Ah, man. So many questions right here. I know Bruce Pritchard was there too. Uh, Mm -hmm. What other WWE people were there? I think Jerry Briscoe. Okay. Uh, the ones that I, the, the ones that I knew. So everybody knew that a fight couldn't break out because Jerry Briscoe is going to kick everybody's ass if that. Jerry's just going to fuck us all up, you know. So everybody. I, I saw you know, a video. Everybody. I saw a video of him at the Monster Factory last year, and he actually, of all the people, he chose to jump on their back. It was Matt Riddle, and, oh. and tried to wrestle Matt Riddle. <laughs> yeah, no, Jerry's not afraid. First tag team I ever hated in my entire life was the Briscoe Brothers. Yeah, Jack and Jerry, not Mark and Jay. Hey, they can make you hate him too. They're they're a very talented tag team. Oh, um, extremely. So, oh man, okay. 
what was the feeling in the room when Shane McMahon walks in? Were people, was it like a collective gasp or was it just people in shock? Were there people that were thrilled to see him? It was, it was the paradigm shift of the business. And if you don't know what that is, listeners, Google that shit. But that's what it was. You know, WCW, as it has, had existed, was done at that point. It was over. You know, the war was over. And now the, the general from the other team is in your encampment. And he's just looking at everything and deciding what he wants to have for himself. That was exactly what was going on. You know, he was a... You know, say you you have been in a fight with your neighbor, your neighbor won, and now he's in your house and he's looking at your wife. He's sizing her up. He's looking at your furniture, at your TV. He's just deciding what he wants. That's what that meeting was. You were booked to beat Chavo on that show. I know that you said that you were like. No, that was a shoot. That was a total shoot. <laughs> he was supposed to go over and I said, nope, vertebraker. Vertebraker, which Seth Rollins, actually, I saw a conversation that, that I think you and AJ had and Seth Rollins jumped in. Yeah. Do you remember Seth Rollins doing that vertebraker a couple of years ago? Oh, it was just like last year, wasn't it? Was it yeah, last year? Ago? Maybe last year. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was from a house show, so people just sent me clips of it. Anytime somebody does the vertebraker, it was uh, it all came back to me. Like, no matter what, uh, that vertebraker was, uh, you know, that's Kumi, the Kumi driver. Uh, she's the originator. But I made that shit famous. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. It's not skirt the issue. I made that shit famous, and Vertebraker is the best name for that move, sure. and perhaps any move of all time. There's a joke and, that uh, there's a long running joke that uh, Japanese women invented every wrestling move, and it's hard to disagree with some of that, some of the stuff that they managed to pull off. Um, Unless you're talking to Conan, then everything was invented in Mexico. <laughs> depends on well, depends I see. On I see wrestlers today, and I don't want to name names, but I've seen it a lot lately. They're like, hey, if you're going to steal my moves that I didn't invent, make sure they don't look like trash on TV. I'm like, what? it's not your move. You didn't invent it. Yeah. Yeah. I did, I did, the, only way, the only time there's credence, I never would say that about the vertebraker. Like, uh, um, but with like the Nightmare on Helm Street, you know, I would see people do that. Uh, and there's certain other moves that I definitely invented. I think if I invented them, I have that right. But, you know, even so, you know, what am I going to do? Sue a motherfucker for doing my move? I ain't dead no more. Do it. We're going to touch on – I'm sure we'll touch on this on another show, but I want your feelings. Like, you know, there are a lot of people that are that say too many people do super kicks. Too many people do DDTs and it's not a finish. DDT, one of my all-time favorite moves. A Jake Roberts DDT, hey, that still finishes somebody today. I'm of the opinion that a head kick doesn't always knock somebody out, but a Mirko Krokop head kick does. It's it's about who delivers it and how well they've protected it. But uh, how do you feel about that? I think you need to look at the overall uh, product of the show. You know, uh, if your headliner, case in point, Shawn Michaels finishes a uh, super kick, don't do a super kick on the card. Mm-hmm. You know, I think uh, you know that kind of goes with it. Um, 
it's got, it's like a comedian, you know, if you go out there and do the same jokes, you know, when the, you know, the following comedians come out, the jokes just aren't going to be as funny. They're still going to be good jokes, but they're just not going to be as funny. You know, so I was real good. And then part of the reason I, I was so adamant about inventing so many moves and, and I did invent so many moves was because now it's my shit. I'm not taking, you know, excuse me. Now I, I'm not taking anybody else's. This is mine. You know, and if I did, and the first time I saw Kumi, she actually went down into a little pen. It wasn't quite the, the vertebraker that I did. It became that, you know, uh, when what I was started it like, was it like the, the, Oh, maybe like almost like an electric chair. How did she do it exactly? Yeah, I mean, it was, she went into it the same way, but then it went down into a pen. I was like, oh, okay. And then I remember thinking, oh, I bet I could pick them up and, and bomb them. And then later I saw her, clips of her that she had bombed them too. Not after I did it. She had still done that before I did it. But I got the idea from a, a you know a, a watered down version of it to do it the way I did. Um, and when I changed the Shining Wizard to, you know, uh, my version of the Shining Wizard, which I just quit stepping up on the knee, I started doing a running enziguri. You know, nobody was doing running enziguris then. You know, so I'm the first one to do that. But I kept the name the Muda out of, out of, out of respect to Muda, and I thought it was a cool name, you know, so it's a bucket. Um, you know, but that, that's why, I, you know, when I would do the top spin face buster or all these different moves, you know, it was just like if I create my own shit, nobody can accuse me of taking theirs. And so – uh, and I would name stuff too. I'd make sure if you named it, it kind of touched on me a little bit. So, yeah. But yeah, if you do things redundantly, it just loses the effect. You know, I mean, and, and that should seem like common sense to people, but young kids, I mean, most of them don't watch other matches on any shows. I still go to it and I'll see who's watching the the, the matches and, and none of them are, are paying attention to shit. So they don't know, know what's going on. And it's hard to pay attention, you know, uh, to their defense, it's hard to pay attention to everything sometimes. But when you're on a TV product, you know what guys do. You know, you know Hogan's moveset. Don't do it. You know Randy Savage's moveset. Don't do it. You know Perfect's moveset. Don't do it. Come up with your own shit, and it'll be easier to stand out more. Back to WCW. Uh, I've heard that WWE didn't have an influence on the show. Is that true? Um, not Outside not of their, their video vignettes, rather. Yeah, not that I know of. And I uh, just recently heard Bruce said that they were kind of letting them do the show, that they were to, to add any tweaks that they felt were absolutely necessary. But uh, no no, no real major major uh, things on the show. I will tell you this, too. Uh, when Shane walked in the locker room, Shane McMahon, he looked over and there was Buff Bagwell and Lex Logan. He goes, Buff, Lex, and just this weird – how you doing? Just this weird thing, you know, yeah. it's like, ooh, shit, they're not getting hurt. You know? <laughs> yeah, uh, Bruce and Conrad Thompson did a really great coverage of this final Nitro uh, on, on he their He can remember show. shit more than – he can remember – Bruce remembers more about WCW than I do. I he's been there forever. Well, not WCW, but, I mean, he was a part of so much stuff. Uh, did they express any interest, like, in anybody there at the show? Or is there anybody that you know that maybe said – Hey, they're interested in me, or was it all just we'll get a hold of you? I, I, I mean, they knew me. I remember that. I remember when I met Jerry that he knew Sugar Shane, and so I was like, okay, cool. You know, so that's always good. You don't want them to go, who the fuck are you? <laughs> you know, you don't want that. Um, but you know, I didn't get an opportunity to have any kind of conversations with them. You know, so I mean, it's an extremely busy day. You got to imagine everybody's frazzled. Um, I had no relationship with Bruce or Jerry. I didn't know Shane McMahon at all other than, hey, we got the same name. What the fuck? You know, um, but they were cool. Everybody was cool. Everybody was cordial. Uh, 
I was just hoping I got out of there with that cruiserweight title. And if I left as the champ, my thought was that they would have to bring me up at least, you know, to do whatever they're going to do with the titles. There's a, I have a much better chance of being called up if I have this title. And, um, and so luckily they decided to go with it. And, uh, and I'd heard, you know, uh, in the following months that they had been keeping up with the show and that that's why, how they knew who I was. And there was a reason that they wanted me to go over in that final match. And I mean, you were a 26 year old kid back then you were six feet tall, which that plays plays into your favor, even though that's considered small on the WWE scale back then it's, Small on the WWE scale now, you got a UK champion who's like five foot six. So yeah. I mean, it's it. That's another paradigm shift that that we've seen. You had to feel good about that. You got the title. You've got all this stuff. What are you told about the future of WCW at that point? Nothing. We're just told that you know, the, the, don't worry. This isn't the end. You know, Shane McMahon. This isn't the end of WCW. That there are plans going forward. Uh, there's things in motion. You know, if you watch the dual, the, uh, the dual cast, simulcast, whatever they called it, you know, uh, Vince wouldn't have committed to anything unless there were plans. So uh, seeing that, you know, uh, we had hopes, okay, well, there's got to be something going forward. But, you know, there was still that uncertainty was in the air. Nobody knew. You just didn't know. You just hoped that somebody somewhere saw something in you. And, uh, I mean, I think I was a little higher on the pecking order than, than some, uh, obviously. Uh, and I ended up being the very first person that, that got the call up. You know, Johnny called me, Johnny Ace. Hey, Shane, it's Johnny Ace. Yeah, I know. Um, he would say that every time. Hey, Johnny Ace. Like, yeah, I know. I recognize your fucking voice. You don't have to, <laughs> you don't have to announce yourself. It's fucking candy. Hello. You had me at hello, Johnny. I know who the fuck you are, but, um, yeah, say, yeah, just uh, make, making out the call. I just want to let you know they picked up your deal. You're actually the very first one we called. I go, yeah. And, and I'm not, I never heard why. It might have just been fucking random and not happened to be the first one. But that's just how it went down, that I was the very first one they called and uh, picked up my deal. And going forward, you know, I'm, I'm part of the uh, WWF roster. Congratulations. Go fuck yourself. That's how it went. That's That was like my next question was this. I, I want to call it a negotiation process, and that's that's another show I want to do is transactions within wrestling, whether it's moving to ECW, SmackDown, Raw, WCW, all that stuff. But w- a lot of people were offered buyouts. Were you, or did they? How how did how did that work out? Did they just say, "Well, we're picking up your contract. You're affordable. You're good. We like you," or was there an option that you may have been on the shelf for a while? No, that's exactly that's exactly what you said. It was that way? Yeah, yeah. This contract ain't that big. We'll take it. <laughs> this guy's good. He's got a future. We can get him cheap. Let's snag his ass right now. You, you hadn't reached that arbitration process yet in your your. Uh... I didn't even have a lawyer. I didn't read my contract when I signed it with WCW. Whew. Like I, I mean, as an independent guy coming in, I had no power. They offered me a deal. I looked at the numbers. I saw you know a thousand dollars a week. Get more to do house shows. Fuck it. I'm in. You know, let's do so it. You are, you, I'll make more. Out. Were you at WrestleMania that year? Did they bring you there? No, no, no. They sure didn't. Um, which that that worried <laughs> me for some. That worried me. Uh, it bothered me. They, well, they me brought go. some of the people there. Yeah, and they bought weird. They bought a weird selection of people, which is I don't know idea how how that came about. But to keep in mind, uh, Vince is a big guy. Mm-hmm. He, he's still a big guy, a uh, big guy, big man mentality. So uh, I kind of just guessed that that was part of it. And, Looking back, I, I think that's all it was. Um, 
but I was doing indies, you know, they let me do indies. And uh, so I was, that was fun. You know I mean? I was WCW champion doing the indie scene. Uh, a couple of promoters would ask me to put over their cruiserweight champion while I'm the cruiserweight champion. I'm like, you know, I can't do that. Are you stupid? And then, <laughs> but I had a fun little run, you know? So you are on ice for a little while. What are you told during this period? Because it, it's been a few the, months to stay and ready, on TV. To stay ready and be ready. And then you're brought in. Well, first I want to say, Shannon and Evan got sent to HWA. You weren't. Yeah. Right. Do you think that having that cruiserweight title kept you from that, or do you think that maybe that just wasn't the plan at all? Uh, the cruiserweight title probably helped that. You know, um, I, I think if I would have had that, still had that run and maybe lost the belt, I probably still would have got called up. Uh, but I think even Chavo went down there for a second or two, you know. Um, but they sent most of the cruiserweights that they had hired down to that division, which – uh, thankfully that didn't happen to me because I would have went down there and murdered somebody and would have never made it. I'll skip ahead a little bit here. We're talking about developmental. They tried to send Chronic to like developmental. And now keep in mind, Brian Adams had been in the WWF like since 1990. Uh, Brian Clark had been there as Adam Bomb before. Do you remember – we'll talk about this more during, like, an invasion show, but do you remember maybe a reaction to that? Like, I know that both of them weren't happy about it. I'm sure they weren't. It was a blow to their egos, I'm sure. But at the time, if you saw uh, – the WWE, the WWF's big man work rate had changed. You couldn't just stand there and lumber around no more. You know, it wasn't just a big man that doesn't bump, that doesn't sell punches. If you saw the way Undertaker and Kane were moving – and that uh, they were in the ring with those two guys that caused this. They were in the ring with the new version of what you were just talking about. Yeah, and it just it, it, it didn't work. Same thing happened to Mike Awesome. You know, Mike Awesome and ECW was a giant, and WCW was still one of the bigger guys. In WWF, he's no longer a big guy. He had a really tough time not being that big monster anymore. You know, I teamed with him against the APA, and uh, a couple of those matches weren't the way that they <laughs> – it did not go as planned. Um, at least when I was on the apron, it didn't go as planned. When I was in the ring, uh, everything went okay. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, it was just it was a different of a style, a different of adjustment, you know. And if you want to talk about why the invasion, <laughs> why we lost the W, or why the ratings were just getting worse and worse, I mean, the WWF was on fire, and they just their top guys could fucking go. All of them. They didn't have a top guy that had to go out there and take it easy and have an off night. All of their top guys could fucking rock. And that's, you know, at the end of the day, what you put out there in that ring, it's got to, you know, it's got to be what the fans like and what they react to. And all of their top guys could just fucking go. Well, we'll talk about the invasion probably pretty soon on a show, but you come in. That same, uh, to add something to that, the very first main event I ever got to do in WWF was because uh, of that particular scenario. Cause the, the main event, the first night was uh taker and uh, Kane against Mike awesome and uh, DDP, uh, I believe was the case and did not go or was not up to expectations. So I get a call the next day in the morning uh, from Jim Ross telling me that, you know, to make sure I'm there on, on time. Yeah, I was always there on time, but that's how we started the conversation. And that I would be in the main event. The main event was going to be me and Hugh Morris against Big Show and Little Show, Spike. And Mick Foley's going to be the special referee. 
and the Undertaker matches moved to like the mid card, and I was going. And they got all and the thing was they had all these other matches that could have easily have been the main event before me, and so it was a very weird placement. But uh, I, I took it as a damn, you know, a badge of honor and a pat on the ass, and that's why I got my first main event. And we went out there and killed it, and did it the next night too. And um, during this period off, what what do you learn about the future of WCW before this invasion angle kicks off? Before you come back, there were talks of a show that didn't happen. So you was it a roller coaster of emotions? What are you finding out, and how are you feeling about it? I'm still in that same mindset. You know, I can't control that shit. You know, uh, I think I'm worried that if the show doesn't happen, I might not get a chance. Uh, there was thoughts of that, you know, because we heard that it would be a WCW would have its own show. And then when uh, it started to look like they wouldn't have a show, then the concerns started to grow again that, oh, no, I'm not going to get a chance. They're going to have they can't just hire all of us. It's not going to work. And there's not enough TV time to hire everybody. Nowadays, they would need everybody to fill up all these 97 hours of TV they have <laughs> weekly. But uh, back then, it's just like, oh, there's not going to be enough TV time. So, I mean, th- there was a little bit of concern, but, you know, there was nothing I could do about it. So I just tried to, like I said, they told me to stay busy and stay ready. So that's what I did. You come back, you immediately lose your cruiserweight title. First night. First night. Dang it. Then, then the next night that you wrestle, you're on a loop. You're on a house show loop. Actually, before that, you beat Chavo for the title on a house show. You you retained it, rather. Then you you lost to Kidman. You lost in a couple triple threat matches on, on a house show loop. You lose to Taka Michinoku on Jacked. Jacked. Are you concerned at all? Your deal's been picked up. No, not about the wins and losses. And I, I mean, we had more. I know I was on more than one house show uh, at Sugar Shane as the champ. We did, we did a couple of those, uh, a couple of weekends of those. Well, the one um, I can find, rather. Yeah, but we did a couple of them. Um, the last one was, you know, the one where Johnny came and asked me about the Buff Bagwell situation. So uh, uh, we we'd already done a couple, and um, but yeah, I, I wasn't concerned about the wins and losses. You're concerned about when you come back. Are they happy with what they asked you to do? You know, it, at that point, it's not a win loss scenario with me. Well, you and if you if you're a heel, losing doesn't bother me. You know, I, ne- I never really worry about it too much. When you're a babyface and you're losing all the time, that's when you need to get concerned. Your first singles televised win comes a month or the next month, and it's for a title. So that that's again something for a different show. But they take a lot from you, Shane. They take yeah. your name. Everything. They take they take your former tag team partners and stick them in in HWA. They take your move. They take your title. They take really your company that you're a part of. Uh, <laughs> they ain't bringing Tank Abbott. Anytime soon, needless to say. They took your dancers. They're gone, too. See ya. Damn it. Get the fuck out of here, dancers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, one by one, it's like, oh, shot to the arm. Shot to the That was all in the same conversation, too. All of it, really. You got to imagine that whenever you see somebody win an Oscar and they say, I'm humbled, that's a lie. That's not what fucking humbling means. <laughs> I got fucking humbled. I got humbled Iron Sheik style by Stephanie McMahon. I was like, God damn! But she's but she was uh, she was real cool, you know. Stephanie always talked to me. She talked to me about my character early in those days. So she was very confident. So we like you. You're here for a reason. Don't worry. I know this sounds. I mean, they knew, they knew what. It, so I mean, they were very cordial. You know, the, 
I think the top brass in WWE gets a lot of shit for being like these evil people, but they're really not. You know, they uh, they knew how I would feel or how anybody would feel in that scenario. So she she talked me off a ledge. Not that I was on a ledge, but I could have easily been on one. But she uh, she talked me down. Was it was it one consistent conversation, or was she like, "Hey, we're changing her name. Hey, we're taking your title. Hey, by the way, before you go, <laughs> no dancers. Wait, 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 one second before you get out that door. Um, you can't do that really cool move that you got over." Yeah. Uh, no, they didn't uh, tell me about the vertebraker yet. The vertebraker okay. didn't come till later. That was, uh, but I just knew I wasn't going to have that song. And I think, I think it was mentioned to me that I, uh, what about the music in my song? And, um, there was, Vince is not sure about that movie. It was just, it was mentioned to me, but I didn't get the actual, you know, the veto yet or anything like that. So, right. But I wasn't going over that night, so it wasn't an issue. I wasn't going to do it and let him kick out. I think I did. I think if you watched the match, I think I tried to go for it or something. I'm sure I did. Um, but no, the, the vertebraker wasn't going yet. The vertebraker, I actually did it well until I was in the hurricane, like even in a bright green outfit before I actually. But just there were so many big guys that it never came up. You know, there's a lot of yeah. people don't realize that. And two, when I was – it. It just honestly, it didn't fit that character that you got this, you know, uh, happy ass superhero. He's out there. This guy, he's he's a, he's a wrestler, but he's he thinks he's a superhero. Not that I am a superhero. The, char- the character was that I thought I was, you know, I thought I was a superhero, but I was just, you know, wrestler that thought I was a superhero. And so me going out there and doing this finishing move that cripples people wasn't quite a connection, you know, and, and when. And people either get that or they don't. And, and I understand some people don't get that, but it, it, it actually lessened the character for me to do that move. So you've got a lot of stuff taken from you. Do you find out when you're back in wrestling that WCW is just going to be a part of WWE, or do you find that out before you come back? Because, like I said, they were talking about a show and all that stuff, but that, that clearly changed. Do you learn that there is no WCW show before you come back or after? I think there was still rumblings that they might try to do something, that they were still trying to negotiate some deal uh, even when the invasion started and it was all going on. I think there was still rumblings about that. I, I couldn't tell you the exact time frame. And like I said, I wasn't in on any of those meetings of, of when they gave up on an entire second show. But I think it was probably because once they realized that they're not getting the starter, they're not getting Sting. They're not getting Goldberg. They're not getting Hogan. They're not getting Nash. You know, they're not getting these guys. Once they realized that, I think they pretty much knew that uh, a standalone WCW show might not be the best idea. Um, but I couldn't tell you exactly. And and they were, you know, I understand that 1,000%. Say what happened in 2001 happened today. And I'm not saying, not implying that for TNA, I'm saying, like, if WCW existed until today, WWE bought it out. With the changes in cable, with the changes in the network, do you think they keep WCW as a promotion and run it on the network? Oh, yeah, no doubt. No doubt. It's just, I mean, I guess I can't say no doubt, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, that sounds like something they would probably definitely do. I mean, a couple months ago when the TNA had the WWE rumors, you know, and I, I might have told you this, I can't remember if we discussed this on a podcast or not, but, you know, they had another talent meeting that day and a rumor the day before that came out that WWE was buying a library or something. And so then we're at TV, just like before, I was the only guy in that WCW meeting. And I was sitting there going, if Shane McMahon walks in this motherfucker. 
but then everybody, again, like, uh, everybody it, it worked, like, it, John, like you son of a bitch. I don't know. It worked out for me pretty well the first time. So I, I wouldn't have said anything. But it, <laughs> would, it would have been plum ironical. Yeah, you may have had the best sustained run outside of maybe – of the people who came over immediately. Um, you could argue maybe Booker T, but he wasn't around as long. Ray Mysterio came in later and had yeah. a fantastic run. But of the of guys that, that initially came in, I think it was just me and Booker, and then I want to thank Chavo as far yeah. as longevity and stuff like so, that, yeah. Yeah, there you go, Chavo too. You all had really, really, really long runs. Uh, what do you think is – responsible for the death of WCW? Oh, bad business, bad business decision. More money going out than coming in. It's, it really breaks down to that. You know, a lot of crazy contracts uh, to guys. That, and you can't sit here and say the guys weren't worth the money or anything like that, but you just got to have money coming in to pay those contracts. You know, uh, and as I said before, you know, other than Vince, who has done pro wrestling at a global scale to even learn from? You know, so there was a lot of trial and error. And when you do trial and error, there's going to be some errors. And, and unfortunately, some of those errors were really fucking big. And then when you know with the Time Warner merger, and you got to have people that like wrestling at the end of the day. Uh, you know, if they want you on the network, you need to have a network partnership. You know, like USA loves Vince. So there's that good relationship there. Um, and and when, once the, the Time Warner merger happened, you know, all of a sudden we're on a network that isn't a wrestling friendly network anymore for whatever reason, even though wrestling helped build TBS, you know, TBS historically was built because wrestling was on there. It's one of the things that helped make it branch out. Anybody that can research cable television, you know, cable television owes a lot to pro wrestling, but at that point they weren't going to return the favor and they didn't, uh, you know, they, they didn't like it. You know, it was, uh, they looked down on it and it is what it is. And, but like I said, there was a lot of bad decisions, a lot of money going to people who were never there. You know, you heard stories about Lanny Poffo having this crazy contract and only having one match, you know, and, and you know, more power to him, of course, you know, I don't want anybody not to have money. But if you're a company, you, you can't do that. You can't just pay people that aren't there and give absurd contracts to, you know, just these people if if their value doesn't, you know, necessarily reflect that investment. You got to have the return on the investment, man. I got a return on this investment. Look at that beauty. Look at that beauty. I wrote an article. actually talked to Jeremy Borash about how many of those were left. And right after that, they were knocked down to $30 on TNA Shop. And I bought one. And they are $150 now. Fuck yeah, Don West, man. Don West is working his ass off. He is a legend. I love Don West. Uh, before I ask you about the legacy of WCW, the contracts WWF like quickly picked up were Lance Storm, Chuck Palumbo, Sean O'Hare, Mark Jindrak, Mike Awesome, Elix Skipper, yourself, Shannon Moore, Stacy Keebler, Chavo, Mike Sanders, Hugh Morris, Sean Stasiak, Kaz Hayashi, Yang, and Kidman. There were a couple others that would be sprinkled in. Did any of those names surprise you? Like, wow, they want him or they want her. I mean, I don't think I thought about it like that at the time. At the time, you know. Um, I've I've always been really good about not worrying about other people, especially in comparison to myself. So uh, I don't think anything surprised me. Um, the, the surprising thing was the guys that didn't show up. And, uh, and at the time, uh, you know, I didn't really understand their contract deals, not fully. And 
didn't really know the numbers that were actually being paid to them just to sit at home and not do shit. So, uh, yeah, I wasn't surprised who was there. I was surprised by who didn't, who wasn't there. But once I found out, it was understandable. A lot of guys with some upside there and guys like Elix Skipper kind of got picked up, but were never used. And he would go on to do some really, really cool stuff for TNA. Like that cage walk that he did was mm-hmm. incredible. And it's, it's weird to think now, like if that happened today, he would be a key cog on a two Oh five live or something like that. He would, it's, it's just weird how the business has changed. You, you know, North Carolina he's a guy. Bit bigger than two, he's, he's a little bit bigger than 205, though. Helix was, yeah, that's a, true. He was a deceptively big, yeah. That's very true. Uh, he was a hell of an athlete, too. Yeah, very. What's the legacy of WCW? I know you were an NWA fan going way back. Um, I don't know how you sum that up in, in, a, in a couple sentences. You know, it was, uh, it was a part of the biggest boom in wrestling ever, you know. Um, that NWO thing was hot as hot could be at the time. Um, it was hot as hot could be at any fucking time, you know? So, uh, you know, you got to give them credit for that, but then, you know, they flew too close to the sun. You know, they, uh, their head got to, you know, a lot, a lot of, a lot of egos got in the way, a lot of bad business decisions got in the way. And I think flying too close to the sun is the best description you can give them. Um, they, they're the only people ever to give Vince a threat. You know, yep. they, uh, you know, they, Vince took that L for a little while and he's never going to let his guard down again. Outside of WrestleLicious, you remember, remember that guy who won the lottery and ran that terrible women's promotion? <laughs> I remember something about that. I couldn't uh, remember. Sucked. I wouldn't have been able to pull up WrestleLicious out of my uh, memory bank, but I remember hearing some shit like that. I'm sure, yeah, it's, I'm sure it's on your Tumblr somewhere. It could very well be. Uh, but yeah, they're the only t- the only company ever to give Vince that L, and uh, it ain't gonna happen again. He's he's been on guard ever since. Uh, he's buying the entire independent fucking scene right now. So, uh, you know, they they had a great fucking run. No matter what, a great run. I had a great time there. You know, I can't I can't really knock it. You know, uh, they gave me a chance to to dis- you know put myself on display for the world to see and see if they like me, and luckily they did. So. What can I say? Man, I loved it. Fuck yeah. It was fun taking this trip down memory lane. This release is before, a couple days before the Royal Rumble. We've left this one open. You don't have to register to get access to this one. If you want early access to other shows featuring Shane, as well as our forums, uh, shows of Matt Riddle, uh, exclusive articles, interviews, register at Fightful.com. Follow us at Fightful Wrestle, Fightful MMA, Fightful Online. Let us know what you want to hear us talk about. I've got some topics like, you know, Face and heel turns, tag teams, uh, Shane's angle with The Rock. One day we're going to do a fighter versus writer show where Shane just shits on the media and I defend it. <laughs> That'll be a fun one. That'll be a fun one. There's only a couple of examples. I like the media. And there are a few, yeah. Um, before we go. But y'all fuck up too. Y'all try oh, to sure. act like y'all angels. Hey, Gotta act like y'all impervious to scrutiny. Here's what people in wrestling, especially. Here's what people like because there's everybody that's like, like if I ask a question to somebody else on Twitter, they're like, "Aren't you supposed to know that?" Like, no, I work from my home office. I don't know everything that goes on. That's like, how you find out shit by asking. Yeah, you gotta ask questions. You gotta do that. I I don't know everything. I don't know who's gonna be in the damn Royal Rumble on Sunday. 
I'm going to go and have See, fun. That's the thing. A lot of the keyboard experts, their mentality is they think they know everything. And wrestling is like sex, baby. You can watch all the porn you want. You can read all the porno mags that are ever existed. Until you actually do it, you really don't know what the fuck you're talking about. And not only do it, you got to do it and get good at it. And even then, it's still going to take a while to get good at it. Experience, nothing teaches experience, but experience. Well, wrestling, unlike your sex life, is subjective. Just so you know. I don't even know what that means. I don't even know how to exactly, take it. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but yeah, there are a lot of people that are <clears throat> like, ultimately, guys, this is a business of workers. And sometimes I get fucking worked. That's just people have agendas. There are times when. I've gotten good news. Hey, there! I, I found out about the Ronda Rousey WrestleMania thing like uh, that weekend, but I wasn't sure if I was getting worked or not. And I was like, I, I don't really want to risk this because if I put Ronda Rousey WrestleMania and that shit doesn't happen, cooked, done. Probably should have done that. There are other stuff that people gave me that I shouldn't have reported, and I did because it wasn't all there. You, you live and you learn. You become a better journalist I, that I way. Wouldn't, but I wouldn't want to do your job, buddy. I'll, I'll take my hat off. It's a tough job. I wouldn't want to do it. And as a, you get placed in a lot of no-win scenarios. Hey, you know what? You I wouldn't want to do – You got to get those clicks. That's right. That's I, motherfuckers want. You just want clicks. I wouldn't want to do your job either because I'm on the right side of this guitar. Fuck. <laughs> it ain't getting smashed over I'm my head anytime soon. Shane, anything to tell the people before we go? Tell them where they can follow you on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at ShaneHelmsCom. Pretty easy. I'm pretty. I've got to be the easiest guy on all of social media to find because it's all the same at ShaneHelmsCom because the website is ShaneHelms.com. TNA comes on every Thursday night, 8 p.m. on Pop TV. Uh, if you're in North Carolina, the brand new Omega Tag Team Champion Champions will be crowned this Sunday. Uh, check my Twitter for information on that. Um, and these belts look fucking amazing, just Beautiful like our belts. heavyweight title is the. Uh, have I showed you the tag belt? No, no. I just sorry. I the the Omega belts that I've seen and your Hurricane Championship, top notch yeah. stuff, man. Oh yeah, our heavyweight title is fucking awesome. Um, and I I wanted titles that people would want to win. That's why I did that. I want to just put a fucking you know, logo on it. And just so you know whose it is, I wanted you to yes. see that belt and want to win it. And you can see, you can see the boys look at our heavyweight title. They look at it and you can see it in their damn eyes that they want to be that champion. That's what I, that's what I went for with the creation of the Omega heavyweight title. The tag team titles look very damn cool. They'll be, uh, so uh, our champions will be crowned this Sunday. So imagine, that, is there an MMA or anything going on this Sunday? UFC oh, Denver, UFC Denver. But imagine the heartbreak on your boys' faces when you book a an internet wrestling writer to beat them for that title. Imagine the heartbreak, the heat. Yeah. Oh, it will be, it will be heat. It will be heartbreak. You know, I mean, for the business though, not not necessarily ah, for them, but it's for the wrestling. I can work a little bit, a little bit, like a little bit. Uh, that's a show I want to do in the future too, is the process of you running a show. That's one I really want to get into because I think there's a lot to that, that, that I don't know that other people don't know. Uh, really looking forward to that. Uh, before we go, Tito Sonnen, what did you think? Here's what that, here's what that show would be. Here's what that show would be. It would be one hour of me holding a fucking hammer, hitting myself in the head while you ask me questions. (laughs) 
That's, that's exactly why it's like to promote an indie show. That's how our shows are anyway, a lot of times. Really, pretty much. What about Tito <laughs> oh, Bellator? We didn't talk about that. Tito Sonnen, what did you think of that? Did I, uh, did I tell you I changed my bet? No. Oh, I saw the weigh-ins, you know, because I was like, I like Chell. You know, I knew Chell had a better wrestling, you know, at beating him at amateur wrestling, you know, and stuff like that. Uh, and so I saw the weigh-in, saw the weigh-ins, and I always tell people when you bet, you know, boxing, um, MMA too, watch the weigh-ins. Not all the time, but a lot of the times the weigh-ins tell a story. I saw those weigh-ins. I was like, no oh, fucking yeah. way. Chell's winning this fight. Hail and out of shape. Out of shape. And I text Conan, Disco, all those guys, my cousin who's a bookie, Michael Leroy, you fucking card shark. Um, text him right away. I'm like, did you see these weigh-ins? Change my shit. Uh, and actually, that started with a Winky Wright fight back in the day. If you remember Winky Wright, badass boxer, man. Uh, forget which weight class, but middleweight, super middleweight, something like that. And I saw... Um, I saw a weigh-in, you know, and he got up there and he just did his shit. And he just looked at this dude like, I'm going to fuck you up. And it was just, you could see the confidence. And, like, I was like, oh, shit. Money's on Winky right there. And uh, and I've really paid attention to weigh-ins uh, since then. But, yeah, that weigh-in changed me. And uh, I think I think Chell just said, fuck it, right in the middle of that fight. I think, it, he, I think he took a paycheck fight. He went out there for the payday, took the fight, was going to try to win if he could. Realized pretty quickly that shit wasn't going to happen, and he uh, he checked out probably thirty seconds before that tap out happened. I agree. I don't think he knew what he was getting into, as he said he needed those minutes. We will talk about the UFC Denver show after it happens uh, next week. I'm heading to Texas for the Royal Rumble, NXT, and Evolve. As Shane said, catch TNA on Pop every Thursday. Also, head over to Fightful.com. Join in on our forums, our discussion boards. We got a wild discussion going there, going on there during every TNA Impact. Hey, when they run one night only shows, we're there to come in, talk some trash, um, discuss if Mahabali Shara is the pound for pound best technical wrestler in the world or not. No doubt, the best, yes. the best. Shane, thank you so much for joining us. Next, see you next time. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.